Hey, welcome to Underwater Sunshine. This is Adam Duritz. I'm here with my friend. James Campion. Gonna have to get better about that. <laughs> Gotta get that quicker. Uh, <laughs> James and I are working on a book together, and now we're doing a podcast. Uh, I was just thinking that I had never told James where we got the name Underwater Sunshine for the record uh, and for the album, and uh, it's sort of a a takeoff on a song because the album's actually called Underwater Sunshine or What We Did in Our Summer Vacation, right. and I uh, I took that from the title of uh, two albums I really loved, uh, What We Did on Our Holidays by Fairport Convention, and also right. uh, Underwater Moonlight by the Soft Boys. Uh, and so, as long as we're here, I was going to play the first song on Underwater Moonlight. So this is the Soft Boys. What with- year is this? <clears throat> I'll have to figure that out later. This is the Soft Boys with I Want to Destroy You. Underwater Moonlight 
by the Soft Boys. The Soft Boys was a, a great band in the seven in the late seventies, mid seventies, late seventies. It's Robin Hitchcock. Oh, no kidding. Uh, and he, he later has the band Robin Hitchcock and the Egyptians, which sure. is basically everyone from the Soft Boys, uh, Morris Windsor and what's the other guy's name? Something Metcalf is the bass player, I think. Uh, and uh, the only person missing from the Soft Boys was Kimberly Rue, who, when he left the Soft Boys, actually formed Katrina and the Waves. Oh, no kidding. On sunshine. Ah. So, uh, There's the sunshine. Yeah. So, oh, no. I mean, uh, Robin Hitchcock was the main songwriter and singer for the right. Soft Boys, though, and then he formed Robin Hitchcock and the Egyptians and made a lot of albums as Robin Hitchcock and the Egyptians and as just Robin Hitchcock for... Right. Well, he's still making records. Uh, yeah. Pretty brilliant records. I saw him in Philly in the early 80s. So, let me get this straight. The name of this record is what again? Underwater... Underwater Moonlight. Moonlight. And it's nineteen seventy. Seven maybe seventy eight seventy nine something like that. Because the first thing I thought of when I listened to that, first of all, <laughs> I want to destroy you is fantastic. That that that's the first song on the record. Yeah, it's you know pop punk. It reminds me so much of nineteen seventy five uh, Dictators record, uh, Girl Crazy, like that kind of poppy fun. Uh, they're a little bit more punk than these guys, but it definitely has that sort of edgy. Uh, style that I, I love, somewhere between humor and anger. And, 1980. Else? Well, Robin Hitchcock had a really unique way of looking at things, and it pops up in his songwriting. It's just, he, he really looks at things. He, he reminds me of one of the people that came around the same time, who also uh, is uh, David Byrne. They write very differently, but they also like right. tilt their heads to look at things and look at them a little differently. Um, he made a lot. I used to go see him all the time. For one thing, that band, other than uh, the attractions, you know, Elvis's Elvis, band, yeah. uh, the Egyptians were one of the best bands I remember during the seventies and eighties. They were just a spectacular unit as a band. They played together so well. It's just a trio: Robin and uh, is it Dave McCaff and Morris Windsor? I got to figure this out. But th- th- they were just an amazing live band too. They really knocked me out. Yeah, like I said, I saw him play, um, I'm going to say 81, 82, somewhere in Philly. Um, he was on the bill with someone else, but uh, and he had a larger band then. Might have been a couple of guys um, in the Egyptians more than just a trio. But uh, yeah, a, a wonderful live performer, um, great singer, and uh, has been still playing um from from my work at the aquarium i know that he comes through here every once in a while so he's still touring but i had never heard of that band never oh that's just a great band the soft boys it's andy metcalf who's the bass player for the egyptians andy metcalf morris windsor um and there's i think roger jackson at times too playing keyboards and then robin on guitars and they were they were incredible just a great, great live band. And and I loved his songwriting. It was such a a different way of thinking than mine. And I was obsessed with it. Like really just fascinated by the way he put together imagery and Well the the songs themselves are just great to listen to. They're just little pop masterpieces, but they also have this just bizarre one of a kind imagery in them that it really knocked me out. It, it, so you heard that record when it first came out then? Uh, I don't know if I heard the Soft Boys. I was really into Robin right away. Uh, I'm, 
I don't remember if I actually went back and got the Soft Boys records at the beginning. I think the first thing I actually heard was uh, Fegmania, which is a, a couple years later. Because that's from like 1980, I Want to Destroy You, and Underwater Moonlight. And I want to say, let's see, Fegmania is 84. So it's a few years later. He's he'd done a few albums after that. I think the first one was that. I remember what he... I think that's right. He had an album called I Often Dream of Trains. I didn't know the record, but I remember hearing that song and being and not knowing who it was. And then a few years later when Fegmania came out, I, I saw them live. They opened, I want to say, for R.E.M. or uh, Tom Petty or somebody. I can't remember. At the Greek in Berkeley. And then I, from that point on, I was just obsessed with him. I saw him 50 times. You know, they used to tour a lot with like, you know... With REM and certainly uh, the Monks of Doom, Dave's band opened for Robin on many occasions. Immer, Immer, I mean, the the Camper spinoff and Camper toured with uh, um, Robin Hitchcock and the Egyptians and uh, like Peter Buck would play in the band, would play with Robin at times um, from REM. So I'd seen him a lot. I should play that first song because I think that's really worth listening to. The first one I really remember hearing although I didn't realize it was Robin Hitchcock at the time, was I Often Dream of Trains, which is a... Well, I'll just play it for you, and you can all tell. I often dream of trains when I'm alone I ride on them into another sun I dream of them constantly Heading for paradise Or Basingstoke already I often dream of trains when I'm awake They ride along beside a frozen lake And then Buffet car. I wait for eternity or Basingstoke or Reading. I often dream of trains till it gets light. The summer turns to winter overnight. The leaves fall so suddenly. The sun sets at four o'clock Exactly what I'm dreading I often dream of trains when I'm with you I wonder if you dream about them too Maybe we'll meet one night I think that song would have fit perfectly on Rubber Soul. There's something about the courting in that that is just so George Harrison adding to John Lennon's kind of... I love it. It's so English, 
but yet so folky. It's a really great song, and I and I do remember you playing this for me when we first started working together, in the sense where you were trying to show me the thematic idea of trains and how you've used trains and movement and traveling in a lot of your songs and how influential that particular song, maybe that record was. And this is from the 84 record, right? Uh, 84, 85. Right. Uh, no, I'm, yeah, 84, 84. Right. That's from 84, for sure. Yeah. So you would have been like late teens, 20, because I was 84, I was 21, uh, 20, 21. Uh, you're a couple of years younger than me, so I'm trying to catch when you would have, that would have hit you in your early songwriting formation or what you were doing songwriting-wise and how you were listening to songs then as someone trying to craft songs as opposed to just somebody who's a fan of songs. Yeah, I think I was 20 when I first heard that one. I didn't realize it was him yet. It wasn't until for a few years later um, when I realized. It's funny you mentioned the Beatles. He actually, because he has a lot of Beatles in him. He has a lot of uh, that uh, Beatles and birds in the sort of 12-stringy sounds of the guitars. And he actually has a song a few years later with the bizarre title, Flesh Number One. It's the closing song on his album, uh, Globe of Frogs. But uh, the song is called Flesh Number One, but in parentheses after that, Beetle Dennis. Beetle spelled like the Beatles, B-E-A-T. Right. Flesh Number One, and in parentheses, Beetle Dennis, um, uh, for whatever reasons. Yeah, I believe Beetle Dennis was something that John Lennon would say when he wanted to make fun of one of the other Beatles. Oh, that's Beetle, you know, he would just give people those those nicknames. I have to look that up, but that that's definitely like inside baseball Beatles stuff. Oh, really? I think so. But you know, it's it's it the other strange thing about that is that Rubber Soul, which is given rightfully so a lot of uh credit with expanding what Dylan was doing or inspired by what Dylan was doing, specifically like Norwegian Wood and things like that. But it really was the Beatles' way of translating what the birds were doing, which were kind of taking the lead from the Beatles and electrifying them, which, of course, inspired Dylan eventually to go electric himself. And then, of course, Dylan inspired Rubber Soul by turning the Beatles onto pot. So <laughs> it's a great incestuous connection there. But when I hear that kind of stuff, and I was just assuming that it had like the 12 string, it reminds me of you, you talked about him opening up for Tom Petty. I believe I probably saw. Robin Hitchcock uh, in the Egyptians open up for Elvis Costello is probably what it was because I saw Elvis a lot during that period and Elvis was expanding on that kind of music as well. Uh, you know, the Imperial Bedroom kind of period where he was really doing his Beatle thing. From 1988's Globe of Frogs by Robin Hitchcock and the Egyptians, this is Flesh Number One, Beatle Dennis. There's a house burning down on the radio, but we're in love, we don't mind, we're as far as I can tell. Everyone worries so much about themselves, there's nothing
Did you meet him? Oh, many times, yeah. Did you guys ever play on a bill with him? I don't think so. I'm not sure. But I got to see him a million times, and Immer knew him because Camper had played with him, and the Monks of Doom had too, so I think, I, I think that's probably how I met him. He, um, well, it's funny because I thought Immer uh, and I are, are set to, to do an interview, uh, not only on the research I'm doing for the book I'm working on with you, but also because I'd like to do a piece for the Aquarian Weekly, where I'm a contributing editor on the uh, Monks of Doom, a record that he gave me uh, over the summer when I was on the road with you guys. So I was wondering if they were going to go on the road, if he was going to play with them, Monks of Doom. I don't know. Um, I, maybe Monks are playing some shows with Camper. I'm not sure. I'd have to look that up. I don't know. And that's a great record. So um, the name of it escapes me. It's in the backseat of my car right now, but it's the CD. Bronte's, it's uh, the, Bronte, the Bronte pin. It's yes. called the Bronte pin. As in, as in Charlotte Bronte. Yes. And we should play a song from it. I love the first song on that record. Uh, well, we let's go back and find that, and we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll, if not, this podcast will get it in another one. Yeah, yeah. definitely no, play it, though. Um, uh, yeah, I want to do a little more Robin, though, because we're, sure. now that we're talking about it today, uh, this is the album I first heard of him by. It was uh, Fegmania, with an uh, exclamation point. It's the year after Alpha and Dream of Trains. It's like 1985. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it's interesting. This is like a song. I've always assumed this song is based on Blythe Spirit, the uh, Noel Coward play. David Lean made the movie of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about a guy who uh, was happily married. His wife passed away, and at some point in the future, he's going to get he's getting married again. He's fallen in love with another woman. He's getting ready to get married again. Unfortunately, his dead wife is haunting him and his new wife because uh, she doesn't want him to get married again, and she loves him, and he loves her very much, and it's. Uh, it's a movie about uh, ghosts and, and love, and uh, it's a great movie. Um, but Robin Hitchcock on Fegmania had a song called My Wife and My Dead Wife. Um, <laughs> and we should mention Mania, another connection to the Beatles. I think that's the first time anyone used Mania in anything with Beatle Mania. So this is from 1985's Fegmania, Robin Hitchcock and the Egyptians. And this is My Wife and My Dead Wife. My wife lies down in a chair the pen I know she's there I'm making coffee for two just me and you but I come back in with coffee for three coffee for three my dead wife sits in a chair combing 
Excellent example 
of a song with a much more dire lyric being presented with a happy... I love when it goes to the, the chorus. <laughs> the drums come in. It's fantastic. It's great arranging, is my point. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not necessarily all that dire, because it's a romance, you know, and, and Bly, like Blythe Spirit wasn't really all that dire. I mean, Blythe Spirit is really a, a love story. Right. About a man... And his wife and his dead wife. You know, like... Uh, well, from the song, I'm assuming that she drowned because he's like, uh, she can't swim, but neither could my wife, which is the funny line of that. I, I can't remember. You know, he's definitely putting his own twist on it. It's great. It's really great. Yeah. I mean, he had some, some real pop hits other than, like, Flesh Number One, Beetle Dennis, which, uh, which we played before, um, certainly is a poppy song. I don't know that it got much airplay at all, though, but... Certainly, uh, a few years later, like in 1991, he releases Perspex Island, and So You Think You're In Love gets a lot of airplay. I mean, that's a pretty... I don't know if it's a big hit. It was definitely a hit at the time. Um, he got onto MTV, too. Oh, yeah, certainly. Yeah. Um, with, like, uh, Madonna of the Wasps from... That's, got, that's a video that gets played on MTV a bunch. But I often dream of Trains was played there, too. I don't know if my wife and my dad. There's another song from that album called "The Man with the Light Bulb Head," and that certainly got played on MTV. I remember it, the late night stuff, you know. But but Perspex Island's a pretty big record. I mean, I think so. You think you're in love? Got a lot of airplay. That's a great. It's very much that's him with the birds. I, I don't know if Peter Buck plays on that one too. I'm pretty sure he plays on a Flesh Number One, Beetle Dennis. But it has that sound to it. Do you remember that song? I. Don't. But when you mention Peter Buck and you mention R.E.M., certainly they are of that lineage of the Rickenbacker, 12-string, oh, yeah. jangly. Yeah, I mean, that goes without saying. Yeah, that, that's a great uh, combination there, the two of them. So well, play if you don't remember one. So You Think We're In Love, I'm definitely playing it for you. Play it. In more of the pop vein with Robin Hitchcock. Right. I, I, I might recognize it when I hear it, but uh, I can't say off the top of my head I have heard this. This is from 1991's uh, Perspex Island. Robin Hitchcock and the Egyptians with So You Think You're In Love. So you think you're in love Yes, you probably are But you wanna be straight about it Oh, you wanna be straight about it now So you think you're in love Yes, you probably are But you wanna be straight
That's just that's a great song. I mean, I, I think that's just that's just a great piece of pop music. It is with the yeah at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know what I just realized about this record too. Uh, you know, I do a lot of things with uh, sticking parts of songs and other songs where they pop into my head. Oh, yes, the alt lyrics. Yeah, uh, and that definitely... Uh, one of the ones that I'm pretty sure comes up in Round Here more than once over the years, although it's been a while, is the She Doesn't Exist Anymore, which is... Well, I guess it's actually called She Doesn't Exist, but it's another song on this record, on Perspex Island. Um, and I... I can't remember the verse right now. I'm sure I'll remember it after we, if we hear it. And why don't we play that too? But this is one where, you know, we, I've talked about this at times, using pieces of other people's songs inside our songs because for whatever reason they were in my mind that day. And certainly there's a chunk of She Doesn't Exist Anymore that popped up in Round Here. I believe it was Round Here. It's possible it was Sullivan Street or Murder, but I think it was Round Here. Uh, it would fit in any of those. Or Elizabeth too. It would fit in any of those. Yeah, but I think it's probably Round Here. It was years ago. Um, by the time it's over, I'll remember where the hell it's from, um, which the lyrics were that I borrowed, but I can't remember right now. Again, this is from 1991's Perspex Island, Robin Hitchcock and the Egyptians. She doesn't exist.
Wow, I have to say, um, that's the finest of the songs you've played thus far by him and um, that I hadn't heard, and I hadn't heard that. that. That conjures up quite a few things for me. First of all, it's beautifully written and sung. I love the themes as a writer, and you and I have gone over your lyrics and other lyrics and had fun with it, but as a writer, there's a million touch tones in here that connect to what you've done and the kind of things that speak to me in song. You know, years ago when I was a kid, I wrote a song called Nobody's Girl about this girl I was dating at the time who had who told me about a childhood friend she had and how she had to get rid of her. You know, that whole childhood uh, uh, imaginary friend thing. And I always found that fascinating, and I connected it to uh, a relationship. And, and this is why it reminds me, and I don't know what song you sang in the middle of it. It reminds me of Sullivan Street, song about that has ethereal uh, themes in it and uh, uh, metaphors, the people hanging in the air and that I love about that song um, and the idea that it's over, that, that, that before it's over. It, she doesn't exist anymore is such a powerful thing to sing over and over again. And the, the la-la-la-las part that, that are reflective of that is just, it really struck me. And the first verse of this, I used to ring you and put down the phone once wore a hole in your dress. Even tried voodoo right outside your home, but these days I just couldn't care less. A lot of that stuff about the idea that you try to minimize the impact of someone, uh, it's just beautiful. That could be a song about someone who's died, someone who's broken up with you, someone who never really existed in the first place. That really just conjured up a lot, a lot of themes uh, when I heard it. It's, it. The lyrics are fantastic. It's just a wonderfully done song. I, I can't imagine you wouldn't be inspired by something like that. Yeah, and the lyric to... Uh... Once wore a hole in her dress. It's just funny. It reminds me of like you know the things you do when you're obsessed with someone and you really miss them and you're just like that you dress in their clothing even though they're it's a, a bit like a bit it's a bit of an extension on it, taking it to the, the the furthest possible level. But that's like kind of what I was writing about in uh there's a part of American Girls that's about that too. That's about like putting on someone's you know trying on their clothes because you 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 know I can't remember the lyric, but that's definitely. Uh, and the lyrics I know I used I used in that song were twofold. One of them was, uh, I let her go like the fool that I was, thought I'd get over her soon. I smell her perfume when my eyes are closed and I see her face in the moon. That's one of them for sure. And and also the last verse, because I think it's just brutal. Uh, only inside you, the ghost of a love that is wordless and painful and old. There's no one else in the whole outside world that matches to her and your soul. Like, But specifically the the wordless and painful and old part that just like it just won't go anywhere you know like indescribable and it won't go anywhere it's just just there to fuck you up you know kind of uh yeah there's nothing i mean this this is perfectly structured there's the last two lines and i wouldn't be me if she wasn't her and it's far too late anyway reminds me again of this idea that you can't even connect to those things, despite the fact that he wore a hole in her dress, that he tried to, to, to connect with a textile aspect of her, something visceral and physical. He still can't. Um, it's beautifully done. And, and when you juxtapose that with the previous song that you played about the uh, dead wife, this ghost concept where the person who's gone is a ghost. I, I've often... Uh, and, and your songs always spoke that way to me as well, and not only your songs, but Dylan's work on Blood on the Tracks. These songs of longing and missing something that you have right there but is going to be gone, 
uh, and you can't place yourself in it, this idea that it was all your fault or you've done some terrible, terrible thing to give yourself this kind of pain, I think is perfectly structured. And how long is that song? Three minutes? It's not even an epic, but there's so many epic themes in that song. Uh, I was very moved by that. Honestly. Yeah, I think that's part of like great writing addresses both the, you know, sometimes you get there by addressing both the very, very minutely personal and also the the widely mythological at the same time. So you give people this this feeling of scope and there's another. I was thinking of another song on on a, a like the next album or the is it the album before it or I'm trying to think when this record is. Uh, I, I was thinking of it because. No, it's before that. Perspex Island. It's the album before Perspex Island. is called I. Um, e E Y E E Y E. Yeah, and I, I was thinking of it originally because he does a thing I do. He has a song. He has an, the album before I is called uh, Queen Elvis, but the song Queen Elvis is actually on the record I. The next record, like the song, the album Queen Elvis, does not include the song Queen Elvis. Uh, it's funny, like when uh, we didn't put. August and everything after on the album, August and everything after. And when I finished uh, recovering the satellites, my a friend of mine once said, well, I think a better trick would be to put August and everything after on this record, on the second record, you know, mm-hmm. and just put recovering sat- the satellites on the third. And then just do that every record where you, <laughs> you actually don't include the song from the album on the record. Uh, you don't include it till a later record. Um, <laughs> wouldn't that be a great trick? And I was like, yeah, that is kind of cool. But then I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it though. <laughs> it's a, it, it, it were, that's something that I, uh, that feels like the kind of twisted thing Robin Hitchcock would do though. Um, that, that got me thinking about I, because I, I was looking up trying to figure out what album is Queen Elvis actually on. I realized it's on the next record because I was going to play you that song. But then I, uh, there's a song on Raining, on on I called Raining Twilight Coast, which is just about, you know, dealing with the like the devastation of losing someone uh you know romantic love or just whatever it is it's some kind of loss or pain uh and i i just it's interesting because it's a very unique way he deals with it um well that's what i was going to say about this song i'm dying to hear that because i'll tell you why the loss of love finding love looking for love losing love this is the very template of rock and roll, pop music, folk music, whatever it is. And to find a unique way of expressing that. And like I've said, you know, with Raining in Baltimore, whether it's I need a raincoat, I need, a, I need all these different things that have nothing specifically to do with loneliness or longing, but it's a way to express it. And you, like you said, mythalize it. And I think that is what Hitchcock achieves, and she doesn't exist. It, oh yeah, it's so hard to do because it's been done a million times. To, for me to sit here right now, and I'm telling you, I was completely blown away by that song because I've heard, like yourself, a million songs, and some of them are better than others. But to hear something that is completely original, expressing that feeling, that's where that's where it really gets me. I, I love that stuff. It's well, very rare. I like that he does that because he he definitely finds different ways to. To look inside those feelings that are very different from the ways that I would, for instance, find. Um, and they, they, they range from uh, just sort of like interestingly clever and twisted different to devastating 
in the space of a line. You know, like from, you know, the wordless and painful and old just gets so blunt about it right there. You know, he's been working metaphorically before that, but he gets very specific right there. Something inside you, the ghost of a love that is wordless and painful and old. Um, anyways, uh, this is a, uh, let's try this one out too. See, see how this one fits. I don't remember the song as well, but lyrically I remember it's sticking in my head, but I haven't listened to it in a long time. This is called uh, Raining Twilight Coast.
running wild There's so many ways you can screw up a child Just one thing, baby, you forgot my Is that how you remembered it? No, actually, I didn't remember it. Well, now it is. I didn't remember that it was an acoustic song, and I didn't... It's funny, uh... There's a lot of Roy Harper in that, a lot of Nick Drake. Just the guitar playing, especially. Robin is a really great guitar player. And a lot of being a guitar player is not just your... Uh, your facility with playing the guitar. It's, it's, uh... It's your you know willingness to to compose something just as complex on the instrument as it is in the vocal and that's a pretty i think spectacular instrumental composition that song um it reminds me a lot of Roy Harper and a little bit of Nick Drake and some of the ways he's playing that guitar really taking the acoustic guitar and, and messing around with it uh Paul Simon does some stuff like that as well he's another brilliant acoustic player um but also lyrically, the way that works, you know, like the way he's going from these sort of almost uh, images of sort of these abstraction images, lonely abstraction images, like I'm on a raining twilight coast, sending out postcards to the one I love and the rain falls up from the ground. No one sees it because there's no one around. You know, it's a pretty like uh, an absurdist abstract kind of image like that. But but then he contrasts it with this very specific chorus. Just one thing, baby, you forgot my heart. And repeats it, you know. But the, especially the last, um, the last verse, it's very Robin Hitchcock in a way because it's, it's taking an image like of a fish and really exploring the ways to describe it in ways that are almost like a little gross and uncomfortable, but like very specifically detailed about fish, you know, slime and, and scales and skin. Because uh, I'm a fish baby with a shimmering skin. You know, it's almost by making you really picture that the way the skin is of a fish, it, it, it like. Uh, specifically when it's out of water. Yeah, but I mean, but also it's just. It's, it's a, a lot of detail. It's not just I'm a fish swimming in the ocean, it's I'm a fish baby with a shimmering skin. So he makes you really think about it. Not just the image of anything could be me swimming through the ocean. It's just, it's a fish. And he really gets into the details of the way things look, especially like amphibians and reptiles and, and sea creatures. It, they pop up a lot in his songs that way. Uh, he'll make you think about, you know, things that you might think of as slimy, but really the details and the textures of them. He wants to bring that out, you know, because I'm a fish baby with a shimmering skin and I find an opening and I slide right in. The sea is my mother, pea green and wild. There's just so many ways you can screw up a child. 
<laughs> you know, he, he he's spent three lines giving these very vivid descriptions. You know, he's got this this fist description. He's got a description of uh, I find an opening and slide right in. That's almost like sex. It's a, almost a vaginal description. Mm-hmm. So you've got this very slick, shimmering uh, sea creature going through an opening. He's got, and then uh, the sea is my mother, pea green and wild. He's made a point to really like make that vivid too. But then he returns to the very specific emotional image. There's just so many ways you can screw up a child. Yeah, he starts the stanza speaking about mother using the ocean as a mother, um, and then he ends it with the child being the other side of mother. You the know, other the, side. The, sure. And, and 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 so he brings you back to an image that's really moving and a little disturbing, and maybe not what you're expecting. And then just one thing, baby, you forgot my heart. Um, it's a great chorus. It reminded me a lot of when Graham Parker uh, did a solo. Uh, another contemporary of Robinson from the you know eighties, and he was in the band Rumor. But then uh, he did a solo tour, I think in the very late eighties, and they did a live album, which I have, and it's that reminds me a lot of that. The phrasing of it, it's very intense, and the acoustic guitar playing, you could really see that Parker knew what he was doing beyond just playing in a rock band. It, once you strip that away, it's not just like you guys said when you did uh, uh, Storytellers, you didn't want to just do acoustic versions of your songs. You wanted to do songs re imagine them acoustically i think that's what parker did on that tour and that's what i imagine hitchcock did here he and it's funny that you you didn't remember it as an acoustic song but it really is and very as you've just pointed out very much an acoustic song acoustic guitar song the, yeah. the, the acoustic is telling this tale I, I see it as like a sea shanty in a way and he's talking about storms and the sea and you know fish and uh it, it has that kind of sea shanty you can picture the guy you know on a boardwalk or at the end of a uh, appear singing this song longingly remind me of like if you really want to get deep into it like Gatsby staring across the pier at the green light uh, it's longing and and descriptive that way yeah I mean it, it's got his way of jarring you out of things you know by by the way he uses the imagery it's like uh, even in I often dream of trains you know he says what's the line heading for paradise or Basingstoke or Reading you know <laughs> yeah. or you know, or it's Lodi. like he, he keeps talking about Basingstoke and Ray, and then he gets to, uh, you know, when you say there, you know, there's this vivid image of trains, they're heading for paradise. Right. Or Basingstoke or Reading. <laughs> and he takes you back to these very mundane English towns uh, after, as if the train makes multiple stops, well, both in paradise, say, but also the, in Basingstoke and Reading. Right. That's you the know. beautiful thing about a train is that if you're going to use train as a symbol, you have to realize it's different than a plane or a car. You get there in those yeah. two things, you get right to where you're going to be. A train, you're forced to stop. The other great thing about trains is that it's one of the things that I love about Kerouac's work when he talks about trains, that, that, that hobo as the uh, angel-type character that's completely free on a train and could hop off and hop on if he wants. It's, it's tethered to the earth, but it's moving. And also you're passing through towns. A lot of trains – tracks that were built along the Continental Railroad were built and run through these towns. They always say the other side of the tracks. If you take a train, like I did when I was my parents moved to North Carolina, if you take a train from New York City to Raleigh, you have to pass a lot of towns that are true Americana, low income. You, you see a lot of things that you, would, you pass over if you get in an airplane. So the train as a symbol, there's so many great things. It has to stop. It goes through all these these towns that are you know, you, you don't want to stop and see, but you're forced to do it, and make, sometimes it makes you a better person for having done that. 
the experience. That's very interesting that. way of putting it. Um, yeah, and thought of it that way. You know, uh, well, I don't play the other one too because this is a song that I'm, I remember. I, I was very, uh, it's very interesting lyrically to me when I was younger because I first heard it, I thought it was just a song about about drag queens, about being gay, about drag queens, um, and the flamboyance of it, the beauty and the flamboyance, um, and what it takes to make a decision like that. But also, but then I realized later, no, it's not just about that. It's it's also about fame and about like anything you do to be a different brand of brighter flower in front of the world. You know what I mean? Whether it's coming out as gay or being a drag queen or opting to be famous and show all these various sides of yourself and colors of yourself that people wouldn't normally see, um, which is, I suppose, why it's called Queen Elvis. You know, he's using imagery both about like um, being gay or being a, a uh, transvestite but also about being just a famous rock star or something too i'm curious to hear it now because i think most of the times i listen to it were before i was one anyways this is off that same album uh i and uh and we should point out that it's not any mistake if an englishman puts queen in a song especially in the in the uh, title of the song so it yeah doesn't... they've got their own so there's always a, a double meaning there anyways but this is queen elvis by robin hitchcock Get what they deserve Time is round and space is cut Honey, have you got the nerve To be Queen Elvis See that man that mows his lawn He'll hang and drag before the dawn Some are made and some are born To be Queen Elvis uh-huh. It could break your mother's heart It could break your sister's heart Coming out's the hardest part When you're Queen Elvis uh-huh. Justify your special ways Justify your special ways Getting blowjobs from the press I'm jealous, can't you guess? I could never fit your dress Queen Elvis uh-huh. Oh, and I'll sculpt you So very Together all alone 
Babbling beside the throne Of Queen Elvis Uh-huh That's quite a song. That's my second favorite. <laughs> I got a lot to say about that. <laughs> You'd like. Yeah, go ahead. Um, well, firstly, uh, reading along with the the lyrics, it's everything you you sold it as. Um, it is a song about fame. It is a song about dreaming about fame uh, or seeing it from a different side. It certainly is literally a song about um, living a, a dual life as a as a drag queen or um, and. But I really love... Or just being gay and not letting anyone know. Or being anything. Anything, that's really, anything, yeah. Right. I mean, But true, um, because the Queen Elvis kind of buries the lead. But when he says, I'll sculpt you, I'll sculpt you until you bleed, till you bleed, and then the last time he's, I, I'll sculpt you, till you breathe. Really well done. Yeah. It, it would have been easy to just repeat bleed or choose bleed or breathe. But to have both in there... Which are when you're bleeding, the idea is you're in you're in distress physically. Uh, when you're breathing, you're bringing in life. But both of those things prove that you're alive. When you're in pain, you're alive, and when you're in joy, you're alive. I love that. But I also like the uh, the order of it. The way that he goes, "Oh, and I'll sculpt you so very hard. Oh, and I'll sculpt you till you bleed. You know, I'll I will take you and I will make something of you." And it will be very, very difficult, and it will be very painful, and you'll bleed. And then I will take you, and I'll make something of you, and it will be very, very difficult, and you'll come alive. That's the thing about it. You know, like, you don't come alive until you show those colors, until you show those feathers, until you, you know, until you're the peacock and you let it all shine, until you you come out into who you are, whether it's... Whether you're gay or you just like to wear different clothing or you just want to be a rock and roll star, whatever your feathers are, you don't come alive until you, until you show them, whoever you are, you know. And I, 
I found that I think that's a fascinating song. It's it really an incredible is. piece of music, right uh, there. I, uh, musically, it's beautiful, and uh, obviously, lyrically, it's it's drummed up a lot of stuff. When and I before we played it, I mentioned you don't use Queen in a song, especially title it when you're an Englishman, and not have it be sitting out there like a large. But Elvis is a touchstone on for many many reasons. I don't need to go into Elvis, but the main thing is Elvis's androgyny is the first time that rock and roll is connected with the asexuality that was later drummed home by the Bowies of the world later on Prince and Am I Straight or Am I Gay, his controversy song. Elvis is the first guy. When I first wrote about Elvis, I was, I was asked to write about it for a 20th century thing back in the late 90s. And the one thing I've paid attention to is the one thing people forget about Elvis is, yes, he introduced black music to white, he, he wears hair a certain way, he dressed a certain way, but there was the androgyny in there, the fear during Eisenhower's 50s of a man coming out in a way that scared the living hell out of an entire generation of people and inspired a entire generation. I'm always connected with John Lennon's statement, before Elvis, there was nothing. And it wasn't just the music that turned him on, but Elvis really did create, and I don't, again, I'm not saying anything, this is an obvious statement, the rock star. But he also created that androgyny that was later uh, used much more effectively in the 70s. But Elvis is the man-woman connection there. Oh, definitely. I'm just wondering if it is really the first sign of it, or I guess Little Richard's definitely after Elvis. Um, but there's a, it's not even just the intense androgyny of Little Richard. It's just a whole generation of people who start wearing their hair long, too, which, although it may not look like androgyny to us, did to the generation older than them. Just the longer hair, just the wild hair, just the greased back hair, just the men doing things with their hair that women used to do. The pink shirts, the checkered jackets, too, the baggy pants. The thing about Elvis, too, is that he had feminine features. In, if you look at Elvis connected with everybody else, you think of the show Mad Men, right? Everybody in Mad Men, the chiseled, you know, the hats, the, 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 the man in the gray flannel suit. This was the idea of a man in America in 1955, 1956. Elvis Presley is so far from that. It seems like buttercup now. It's just, it's puff now. But then, that is the ultimate shock. Elvis, his look alone, forget about the singing and everything else, that to me, and, and that is depicted in here, what you talk about with fame, getting out onto the spotlight and be the person you really are. And it's a basic sort of tenet of rock and roll after that is just letting it hang out, whether it's just your collar, your shirt, out of your pants, your hair, just letting it be a little longer. You know, I'm hesitant to say whether Elvis is really first. I'm trying to think because there are, you know, he does take a lot from black artists he'd already seen. So I'm assuming there are some that I don't know about who are doing a lot of that stuff before him, but certainly the first in popular culture that way, you know, um, and I don't know how early Little Richard is there. He's right there. I um, mean, there's a he's very He's definitely good... doing a lot of that stuff, much more so than Elvis even. Oh, yeah, because he's not wearing right eye then, makeup. soon after, you know. Yeah, he's wearing eye makeup, uh, and, and he was clearly homosexual. <laughs> and people did not... I mean, if you want to go back to Liberace, but people ignored Liberace's overtly effeminate nature. People just didn't see it then. And, and they didn't see it with Elvis either, but there was a danger to it. But getting back to Queen Elvis, that's kind of where I was going with that. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's that's a really great song. It's it's kind of knocking me out. The stuff on that record, I though that I hadn't listened to in a very long time. Those are very powerful songs. Both of those, you know, yeah, they really are. I want to go back and uh, 
play one that I skipped off of one of the earlier records because I think there's also an insanity to Robin that is really worth making note of because there's just this this crazed this is the first real song there's a there's an a prelude on the record but on I often dream of trains this is the first real song on it it's called sometimes I wish I was a pretty girl um and the lyric that gets repeated just so there's no mistake about what he's saying sometimes I wish I was a pretty girl so I could wreck myself in the shower and I'm absolutely certain he's talking about masturbating in the shower um so and I think the song is, is there's a few songs on this first on that album it's not his first album, but there's a few songs on that early album that are a little like this. And just, it, it's important to get a, a sense of the bizarre with Robin, too. This is Sometimes I Wish I Was a Pretty Girl, back off 1984's I Often Dream of Trains. Sometimes I wish I was a pretty girl so I could whoop myself in the shower Sometimes I wish I was a pretty girl So I could whoop myself in the shower Been on my own so long I can't tell that from home Bloody red bats Squelching awful Foaming mutilations In the kiss of Sometimes I wish I was a pretty girl So I could whoop myself in the shower Sometimes I wish I was a pretty girl So I could whoop myself in the shower Been on my own all night I can't tell that from life Baby, come back Give me fever You know what, while we're here, before we even talk about it, I'm just going to add one more. Ladies and gentlemen, this is also from that record from I Often Dream of Trains. This is Uncorrected Personality Traits. <laughs> uncorrected personality traits that seem whimsical in a child may prove to be ugly in a fully grown adult. Lack of involvement with the father or over-involvement with the mother can result in lack of ability to relate to sexual beasts. And in homosexual leanings, narcissism, transsexuality, girls from the waist up, men from the waist down, attempts to be your own love object. Reconcile your parents to you by becoming both at once. Even Marilyn Monroe was a man, but... This tends to get overlooked by our mother-fixated, overweight, sexist media. 
So, uncorrected personality traits that seem whimsical in a child may prove to be ugly in a fully grown adult. If you give in to them every time they cry, they will become little tyrants, but they won't remember why. Then when they are thwarted by people in later life, they will become psychotic and they won't make an ideal husband or wife. The spoiled baby grows into the escapist teenager who's the adult alcoholic who's the middle-aged suicide boy. So, uncorrected personality traits that seem whimsical in a child may prove to be ugly in a fully grown adult. Okay, there's too many things to unpack in these two songs. Fantastic, John. It's a great way to wrap up what has turned out to be our Robin Hitchcock uh, podcast. Let's take this one first. That is so beautifully done. Musically, it's just beautifully done. It's, it's wonderfully done. But I love the fact that it goes to... <laughs> what's the last line about the whimsical... Uh, the, the traits that seem personality tra- traits that seem whimsical in a child may prove to be ugly in a fully grown adult. <laughs> right, but how are you supposed to know? That is so true. Having having been a parent now for nine seasons, uh, I can tell you that. And Adam and I have talked about this a lot. You don't know. You have no idea. It, it, it's it, they're like wild animals. You you have no idea if you're screwing them up or if you're letting them just. You're letting their freak flag fly or you're turning them into serial killers? I have no idea. Um, that's an excellent point. What was the song prior to that? With the piano? And oh, the... sometimes I wish I was a pretty girl. Yes. Well, of course, that, has, that, that idea has been done. Well, you did it. Uh, in, uh, and, of course, uh, Prince, If I Was Your Girlfriend. But this is a lot more literal in the sense if I was a girl, I would just... If I had a vagina, I would just masturbate all day in the shower. It reminds me of the first salacious thing I remember as a kid. It was National Lampoon. Oh, I couldn't have been more than my daughter's age, maybe even younger. And they had an article in there called, One Day I Woke Up With a Vagina. <laughs> and it was a boy who's got the, th- and he looks down and, you know, and then the possibilities are endless. Uh, it's just, it's a, it was a very funny piece, but it, the, it was the drawing that really was disturbing and, and enticing to me. So it's funny. To think about that, somebody took the time to write a song about that, yeah. <laughs> and but, a good song at that. Yeah, I, I just think he's a he's bizarre and wonderful. Like he definitely finds his own way to look at these things. He's just so unique that way. Been on my own so long, I can't tell left from wrong. Bloody red bats, squelching awful, foaming mutilations in the kiss of death. <laughs> Sometimes I wish I was a pretty girl so I could wreck myself. Although it sounds like he's saying "woof myself in the shower." <laughs> I've heard him like blur the line live and also clearly say "wreck" and clearly not say "wreck." The last one is sometimes I wish I was a pretty girl so I could stab myself in the shower, which is a little different. Ah, um, see, he's not wrote. He ch- you've you've often said to me that the one thing that you don't regret but you did when you had to write out all the lyrics is that you never repeat the same chorus over and over again and uh he doesn't someone asked me the other day about writing songs and not like putting the uh like the obvious chorus title in the in the title of the song or something not you know because i was i guess you know you and i at one point talked about how uh the song on Hard Candy is really supposed to be called Richard Manuel is Dead. That was the title, and I got really pressured into changing it to 
uh, what's the name of the song? I hate that other title that they used. Uh, if I give all my if I give all my if I love give to all you. my love to you, right? You know, or uh, which is stupid. And uh, but I, it made me think that there's a song on Element of Light called Airscape, and the lyric Element of Light is actually in the song Airscape, and he didn't call it Element of Light. You know, it's called ah. Air, it's called Airscape. But I really love that song, I, and I. I had trouble finding it at one point because I thought it, when I was younger, I thought it was called Element of Light, but I couldn't find the song. <laughs> and when I got, and I finally, I found the record Element of Light, and then I couldn't figure out which song it was on the record that had that, that lyric on it. Anyways, I, this, is, this is Airscape. I want to play this before we go. This is uh, by Robin Hitchcock and the Jets. It's just a really beautiful, it's got a lot, it's a very beautiful song. It's got a lot of that birds, 12 string jangle in it too, that I really love and, and you really love. Um, anyways, this is a, Airscape from Element of Light, which is what year I'm thinking. Element of Light is 1986. Uh, Robin Hitchcock and the Egyptians. Angels walk 
All right. So uh, I think we're going to wrap this up for the day. That's enough. I didn't intend for this entire show to be about Robin Hitchcock, but it seems to have gone that way. I don't have the exact dates here, but uh, at the moment, Robin Hitchcock and the Egyptians, or at least Robin Hitchcock and uh, Camper Van Beethoven are touring in America somewhere together this year. If you get a chance, you got to go out and see them. Two of my favorite bands, and of course, the great and powerful Emmy is playing with Camper Van Beethoven right now. Um, so it's a unique opportunity. I will say, uh, any chance you get to see Robin Hitchcock, because it's not just the songs themselves. His patter between songs is often this is often like uh, beat poetry. He just he's talking and telling stories that seemingly are completely bizarre and nonsensical and just like absurdist abstract poetry, and then you realize they've turned into something very specific, much like his songs themselves. And he leads in and out of his songs that way, or at least he used to. It's been a long time since I've seen him, but he's one of the greats. Uh, there's even a movie, uh, Jonathan Demi, after he did uh, Stop Making Sense. A few years later, he also made a movie about Robin Hitchcock. Uh, not only did he, so not only did he do that movie about the talking heads, but he did one called Storefront Hitchcock, where they got a storefront in some town somewhere uh, and he just Robin Hitchcock stood in the window and played songs, <laughs> and they filmed it from the street and from inside the thing. So you you see Robin Hitchcock playing these songs, but you also get the people walking by on the street who are somewhat confused by what's going on inside this storefront. And this and is a full length film. The movie's called Storefront Hitchcock. It like Stop Making Sense. It's a concert. Oh, it's just, it's just a one man Robin Hitchcock concert instead of an all talking heads, and it takes place in 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 a storefront in some town. I can't remember That's where. A great idea off the top of my head, but it's a you know it's kind of a brilliant Jonathan Demi thing to do. Oh, um, he also has a new record out, Robin Hitchcock. So check that out on Spotify or get it or you know dig on it and then uh, go see him because I certainly thought I knew about Robin Hitchcock, but thanks, man. As usual, turning me on to some stuff. Actually, storefront Hitchcock takes place in New York. I didn't realize that. It's a storefront in New York City Some somewhere. Town, somewhere. <laughs> somewhere in New York City. Well, where we're sitting right now. It's been a while since I, since I saw that movie, so I was trying to What year? What year place. did it come out? That's 2001. Um, mm. Let's see. Uh, yeah, 2001. Yeah. The late, great Jonathan Zemmick. We should definitely check that out. He actually plays a lot of the songs that we talked about today. He plays... Uh... Okay, well, he plays Airscape. He plays, he plays Air Escape. <laughs> At least one, one song that we talked about today he played. Um, all right. <laughs> Go away. Goodbye. This is Underwater Hitchcock, Adam and James, signing off. Peace. Later. <laughs>